Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 507th show of ROI, and our guest for today is Tyler Morgan, a local author and historian who's going to be talking about his book, The History of Bands of Centerville, Iowa. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buff, Rick Sweet. So to begin with, welcome to the show, Tyler. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. We're excited to have you. Um, this first segment is called Farouk Dinaran, and our goal really is just to give our listeners some background information. So can you start us off with some basic information about the history of bands and how bands developed in the United States? I'm thinking if we can go back maybe a century or so, that would be a good starting point. Yeah, sure. So the history of bands in the country is um, really mostly rooted in uh, military tradition um, during, even during the time of British occupation, you know, the, uh, a lot of bands that you would hear or any sort of band performances you would hear around the country were of the military sort. And uh, as that evolved and, you know, after uh, the nation was founded, that continued to be the case. Um, And up until the time when uh, in the civil war, it reintroduced the need for a military band and, in some entire communities within from the country uh, were gave, uh, gave gave their entire town bands to be used during the Civil War. And then, of course, after the Civil War ended, you know, uh, those musicians kept playing in their towns, and it just kind of grew, they grew. And uh, one of the uh, one of the statistics that I have uh, that I list in my book is that. Um, at one point during the Civil War, the Union Army boasted that there were at least 500 bands with a total of 9,000 musicians uh, <laughs> during the Civil War. And then after that, it was like the golden age of band music, where hardly a town or community in the country didn't have its own town band giving performances, because that was the entertainment of the time and of the uh, uh, in our country when there wasn't a lot of other media to be uh, to absorb. Okay, so how did band become a, a thing for kids rather than adults? Because it sounds like it sounds to me like you know those early incarnations of bands were probably almost universally um, adults playing in some way. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, especially when you're talking about uh, you know being in the military, but it became the thing where a lot of, uh, you know, adults or young adults and adults would, you know, learn their instruments and it just became the, you know, we need to teach the next generation. So some of those older retired military musicians would start teaching lessons and, you know, families would say, I will, I want my, uh, my child to to learn the skill of playing an instrument. And so there, you know, it probably happens the most if you think about piano teachers. There used to be a ton of piano teachers around, and like, as we want our kids to to know how to play piano, and it, the same was true for um, for band instruments because there wasn't there weren't founded school band programs at the time, so they were more either individuals teaching lessons or um, or maybe individuals who formed small uh, uh, ensembles of. Uh, young musicians of kids learning instruments 
Um, that's really the way they kind of transitioned from the adults playing the music and being the learners and main performers to getting kids involved so that it would be a generational thing and not just a, uh, uh, and die out with a, with an older generation. Has that sort of development of bands as, as part of educational curriculum, has that really happened by the beginning of the 20th century or do we need to go a little further before that starts to really become a, a thing? No, it's, um, it's mostly the beginning of the 20th century, you know, in the, I would say by the 19, the, the 1920s and definitely by the 1930s, most school, you know, curricular bands were, um, were founded and fairly well established. Um, and some, some boast to be, you know, older than others. You know, the, you can argue who, who has the oldest, uh, school band program in the country or state or whatever, but, um, in the, sometimes the late teens, twenties, and that's really when it kind of got rolling. Okay. So if you're going to have a band, you obviously have to have music. So the last question I'll ask before we, we go to commercial is where is sheet music coming from? Where, where is that? Is there a business out there that's disseminating or does that also develop as bands become a bigger deal? Um, so how are they getting the material that they're playing? Well, uh, in two big ways come to mind, there are musical music publishers that have been around, um, since, uh, late 1800s, uh, 1880s or, or older. Um, so there has been formal music publishers that's printed, uh, music that, that has been around for quite a while, but also times when you would get to certain needs for certain community bands, school bands, whatever it may be that, there were times when the director would just do some arranging or uh, writing of the music as needed, too. Okay. That's interesting. Well, we have so much more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Tyler Morgan, local author and historian, and we're talking about his book, The History of Bands of Centerville, Iowa. Our history buff today is Rick Sweet, who is, in fact, a former band student at Centerville. Um, and uh, so, Rick, start us off. I am the alumni here in Princeton, Iowa. <laughs> Tyler, I uh, first of all want to thank you publicly on the radio for that uh, secret of the old ancient band room at Centerville High School that I struggled mightily under the tutelage of uh, Mark Kelly 
all oh, those many years ago and and also seeing what has happened to the new band room in the high school which is equivalent to a to a uh, major production studio band show i was truly impressed with uh, what centerville has done with their band program uh, what i'd like to do is ask you uh how did you come about compiling this most interesting book that uh, you published under the handle T.S. Morgan. What what prompted you to put together uh, this most interesting array of information on on Centerville bands? Yeah, sure. And and uh, first off, it was my pleasure to to give you a, a tour of the alma mater when you were back in town. I'm glad that you were able to go through and share some stories with me of uh, your time in the in the halls of CHS. Um, yes. Uh, so, you know, I of course have been, uh, involved in the Centerville band program for a long time, you know, since my, uh, my high school or, and before that, um, days. And I w- went on to college to be, uh, to get my music ed degree to teach band. Um, and it kind of, uh, it was, a. Uh, just by happenstance, at one summer from college, I decided that I wanted to go into the local museum in Centerville and see if uh, they had, at the time I asked if they had any um, paid uh, uh, summer jobs for me and not knowing, not being very green and not knowing anything about how nonprofits, historical societies work and that uh, the curator, Lisa Eddy, told me she didn't even get paid at the time. And so uh, but I said uh, I would ha- be happy to volunteer then as a second option. Um, and uh, I just, you know, there was there were some things and some different exhibits around the museum that were music related that I well, just kind of glanced over. And but one of the tasks that she asked me to do was there were three large trunks of um, sheet music that had been donated to them. And I started going through there and I learned about the owner of this music whose name was uh, Frank Minkler and he uh, the origin of the music was that it was the music that was played during the silent movies at the Majestic Theater in Centerville and he was the director of the silent movie orchestra and all of that was incredibly new knowledge to me that I had didn't even know existed or anything about and I just started researching the individual the history the members and everything and it kind of just um exploded from there and i decided well someone should really come compile like uh first i said someone should compile pictures of all of this and uh then it went on well you have to have captions for these pictures to kind of tell what is going on and then i just well i might as well just write story or write the whole story kind of deal and so i decided I needed to tell the story of the municipal bands, um, the town bands of Centerville and of the school bands as well. Okay. So Tyler, I'm interested in sort of this history of bands in general. And, and as a non band person, um, my first experience, well, not my first, my first experience was a horrible one being told that I needed to be not in the band, uh, when I picked up my first instrument, but my first real experience to band stuff was the movie, the music man, 
uh, based on the the Broadway play. And that introduced two things that I'd like you to sort of talk a, a little bit about. The first one is the the need for band uniforms and all of that accoutrements and how did that sort of develop that idea of how of dressing up my band and then the second question that i have is is how did the it feels to me like there was some competition involved so how did the competitive nature of bands become part of the the uh the, the the landscape and and particularly Centerville seems to me like a place where you might be able to use as a pretty good example for how all of this worked out. Like I mentioned in the earlier in the first segment, a lot of uh, the band tradition that we see now and the whole start of of uh, community and school bands, you know, had its origins in uh, military bands, and that's where the whole the whole idea of a uniform I think really stems from. Um, you know, having a uniform to identify or, you know, well, all these uh, military bands, of course, were dressed in military uniforms that evolved over time and started to look different from the regular uh, military uniforms, foot foot soldiers and so on. And then I think it's when you started to have a community band, they thought, well, we also need to be wearing a uniform um, as well. So I think um, as far as the uniform goes, just, you know, you started to get a uniform to uh, so everyone looked the same, so that it was uh, um, visually you're united, as well as you know being united in the music that you're playing, um, in what for whatever you may be doing, and marching in a parade or giving a concert. A lot of time, you know, a lot of times uh, uniforms were worn there too. Um, is that kind of answered the question? Is that where you were going with that question? Well, I was, yeah, I was just curious about how that worked because it, it sure felt to me watching that movie that there was a, um, you know, that, that it mattered, that there was a sense of civic pride that we have this, this, this uniform and, and that I, you know, I, I looked, I have all my buttons are polished and, and, you know, I have the tall hat and the whole thing. And, And so that's where I was kind of trying to go with that did that then lead also to competition was was band competition did that happen fairly early you know even amongst the adults where different towns would do that sort of thing or is again that more a development of schools and in kind of almost an integration into an athletic sort of mindset no it it started the whole competition aspect started rather early as well in fact um when i was trying to research our our municipal band and its origins, the first reference that I found of, uh, of the band was talking about uh, how it traveled over our band traveled to the next town over for a competition for a band competition. And this was in the, this was in the late 1860s, early 1870s. So this is quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, I, in fact, the article was in 80, 1871 and, the reason I knew how, when the band started, because they said the band started two years ago. And when you go back to, when you're looking for newspaper articles in the 1870s and back, you, they're not, you're lucky to find something like that that says, oh, it happened two years ago, because you don't just don't find articles very much uh, from that far back. Sure. Uh, so, but yeah, anyway, that there was a competition in the next town over, and they said they loaded up the bandwagon and went over there and performed. And, uh, 
and there was prizes given out by the band side. I don't know who judged them back then, but uh, <laughs> it it started. Uh, and I think uh, I have my. I have to admit I have my book up on one of my computer monitors in case I need to reference something um, just because it's my mind can be sometimes scattered brained here. But uh, the prize was in 1871 was $50, a blue Ooh. ribbon and $50, you know, which is a lot back. Yeah, then. that was, that and, strikes me as a lot of money. <laughs> and it's, it was a whole day affair. I'm sure because right now we're talking about traveling to a town that was, I, my car is 25 miles or 25 minutes just one way but by going my horse-drawn wagon you know you're, you're you're taking a whole day to get over there and get back sure um so that's the competitions went on for quite a while and if you've ever um heard about any of the the british brass bands you know and that they have they have more brass bands as far as commu- when community bands go and that tradition spans back even farther you know uh, and they have competitions that are still going that have been going for hundreds of years. And uh, so it was the whole music thing was always competition based in a way where uh, you want to, you want to see if your town band is better than the next town bands over. And it just says, like you said, a sense of community pride to, you know, to say how, how, how good our band is. Okay. Rick. Tyler, I'm, I was going to morph back quickly, make an editorial comment on uniforms. Um, the number of bake sales and car washes and all kinds of activities that we went through in high school to to uh, fund the uniform fund because you you wore uniforms that had been there for 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, and it's hot in southern Iowa, so they don't really clean up very well if you've got a 15-year-old uniform. But uh, uh, my question is, uh, how did how did parents and schools start to attract kids? Um, I, I I have a personal experience where Marianne Casey uh, Green approached my parents and told them that I should play the trumpet, and that was how I ended up going into the elementary uh, band, which we sounded really bad. But uh, over history, how did how were kids funneled into this this band conduit? Sure. And um, there's actually a pretty interesting history. Uh, or I don't know if it's one of those things that I don't know. I haven't researched enough to know if it happened in other towns. I imagine it did. But in our town... Uh, we had what was called the kid band, which was in no way affiliated with a school. And we're talking about the uh, uh, early 1910s. Right? And uh, there was a gentleman in town that they likened in, in later years, rather, they likened to the, the music band, the Harold Hill from the music band, because yeah. he yeah. got kids together from the community, you know, taught them in, taught each of them instruments and put them together into a little band. And they gave public performances, put them in uniforms, gave and got them instruments to play. Um, and he was, as they referred to, a music man. Um, without the, you know, the 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 trope of uh, trying to con out the community and out of the money and such. Uh, but he was uh, this gentleman. His name was George Leister in our community, at least. And uh, he was a uh, he worked with the railroad, and so he he had a day job, but 
he in the rest of his time he devoted to getting these young young um, boys and girls involved in music and teaching them instruments and having them perform and they gave public concerts and they were a variety of ages but um, pro- I would say probably all around the age of um, nine, ten, eleven or so um, and so that's how early on it was started and he was actually vocal in trying to get it started in a music program, a band program, formally started into our public schools. And I can only imagine they, that... Oh, go ahead. How did they pay for the instruments? Because instruments are not inexpensive. How, how did these early kids' band uh, for the instruments? Well, I, I would only assume that it was... Uh, you know, there was some family, the, it was funded by the families, you know, okay. the purchase of the instruments. Um, in most time, in most cases, it seemed to be the case that the uh, families that could afford an instrument or um, sometimes they would even say that uh, they would purchase an instrument. The, uh, the organization or the conductor or the director would uh, purchase an instrument and teach someone to play it and then give them the instrument to play and maybe some times of hardship. For, a, for someone they saw that was um, skilled or had, had the natural talents or the ability. Um, but uh, I think there was also some community funding because I remember I have seen uh, um, flyers and newspaper articles when they're looking for supports or fundraisers to raise money for uniforms for that, that type of a band um, or sure. you know to get them involved too. Tyler, I'm I'm interested, I'm, and I'm going to kind of move up closer to the present, actually into the present a little bit with this question. And and if it's outside of your expertise, that's okay too. But I'm just curious. Um, over the last, at least my notice, over the last uh, twenty years or so, um, bands at at the the high school level, at least. Um, and I'm thinking of marching band, and I have another question on that at some point along the way. But pop music has become more and more a part of that band tradition. Um, I remember sitting at, at football games listening to Ted Nugent's Cat Scratch Fever or Queen's Fat Bottom Girls being played by the band. Um, has has there always been an easy crossover between sort of popular music and and what bands were playing, or is that something that's kind of developed here more recently? No, I I actually think that it's always been um, always been a part of uh, band music, band literature. I I go back to you know when uh, my mom was in the Centerville High School band, and she talks about the pop songs that they played, and even if you go further back. Um, when, uh, when, ja- when jazz was the new popular music around, that was that started to creep its way into uh, into the band literature as well. So whatever the popular music is, it always finds a way to um, make its way into band literature as well. And I think that a lot of times some of those more what you know what was a popular so- selection um, back in the day now becomes a um, standard or a uh, a well-known, a well-established piece in band literature because it was uh, been played so much that everyone plays and everyone knows it. Sure. 
Um, Rick, I'm going to let you ask the last question, but I'm going to preface this by saying we've only got about three minutes left for question and answer. I'll talk in code. So, Tyler, <laughs> when did the first first uh, band appear at Centerville High School as a high school band? Well, my usual answer for that is 1919. When uh, and it was a group of musicians. They call they called themselves the band, but it was you know there might have been a clarinet, a, a saxophone, a drummer. Um, someone played violin because they played by you know. So it was a very mixed group, but it was the first what I call instrumental ensemble that was at the Perfect. school. It was in 1919. Okay, uh, Tyler. It is customary for us to give the guests the last word on our show, so. Uh, why do you think that a knowing a history of bands is relevant today? Well, I think knowing the history and the people that came before you, and I'm speaking as a um, both an educator and as an alumni from uh, my very specific ta- hometown and program, but knowing all of the things that were accomplished before me by the people before me gives me a a great sense of pride and uh, motivation, I think, to continue to do well and to make those people proud and carry on their tradition. All right. Rick, we've got about a minute left, so I'm going to let you chime in there too. Why do you think that bands are relevant in today's world? Because they, uh, first of all, let you rise to a higher level than you can by yourself because there's nothing more wonderful than sitting in the middle of a band playing a piece. It's just, it's just fabulous. Secondly, it's a character building activity. I had the honor of of, uh, being under Mark Kelly for four years at uh, Centerville high school. And uh, he taught, he taught values and hard work and, and rewarded those and uh, when you succeeded and uh, were constructively working with you to improve at all times. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a growing up experience I think everybody should have. Well, and I'm going to finish this off as a completely non-band person. Um, I think you know, music and has a, there's a cultural aspect to music. And I think what bands have done, particularly school bands have done is provide an avenue in which the culture can develop a musical literature. Um, almost everybody knows some band pieces, whether they ever played in a band, whether they were ever involved in anything in music at all. Those are, are tunes that, that resonate. And I think a culture needs that. I think you need that shared experience. And I think that band music does that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. 
ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 507th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Tyler Morgan, local author and historian, who talked to us about his book, The History of Bands of Centerville, Iowa. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutut proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.